My heart certainly was full. Thank you for the gift of your singing. Getting to hear Sarah, and then also sitting in front of Andrew and Christy Button. Not a better seat than over here, hearing them sing and just wash over me. Thank you guys so much. Well, we are looking at the practices of hope, uh, partially because this is the Advent season, and uh, the Advent season is often about hope. Uh, but also, we also are going to look at hope because sometimes uh, hope is not easy for many of us right now. I don't know all of your stories, uh, but I know many of them. And uh, I guess I'd like to ask you this question. I wonder if any of you feel right now that your hope is eroding. Not all at once, but maybe gradually, slowly over time. And uh, I think it's important for us as we think about our stories and what God is doing in our lives that, uh, that we don't have an eroding hope, but we want to move towards having an enduring hope. And so for the remainder of the year, we're going to look at this theme of the practices of hope. And this morning, we want to see how hope changes your life, changes how you live, with the practice of surrender. Each week, a different practice that you have to kind of add in order to keep your hope from eroding but to move towards a hope that endures no matter what happens in your life. And so this practice of surrender is the first one. Hope endures, not erodes, when we practice surrender. It's good to remind ourselves of what hope is as we begin this morning. What is hope? Hope is that expectant good that you have, that something good is going to come your way. Something that you see as pleasant, pleasurable, you want it. And it's going to be good for you if you get it, right? You can refer to this kind of hope as your desires. Here's the first part of what hope is. It's what you hope for. What you hope for. So one way to talk about our hopes is to talk about your dreams. Think about the things you want. I have a song in my head. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. <laughs> Didn't know how the Spice Girls would ever make it to a sermon, but it's a gift, okay? Uh, yeah. You guys are awake now? <laughs> Christy's like, did he really do that? Yeah, it's footnoted. Spice Girls. All right. Now it's in your head. You're welcome. Well, what do you want? And when you think about what you want, well, that is what you hope for. You know, for me, it started off where I wanted a bike. I wanted a bike with blue tires, leaving a big skid mark as I went down the cemented sidewalk. That was my dream. And then I remember wanting a Nintendo, the kind with just the four little arrows and the A and B button, that's it. Yes, I lived then. True story. Wanted a Nintendo. And then I remember wanting somewhere along the way, probably when I was able to drive my car, I wanted a CD player in the car that could be hooked up to a cassette player that had a buffer. And a, and a buffer, if you're not familiar with this, it allowed you to play your CD in your car and it could absorb the shock of a bump. I mean, remember, I grew up in D.C., potholes are a thing, okay? And so it could absorb that bump and you wouldn't have to have your song, your CD player, skip if it had a buffer, 10, 15, 20 seconds. That's what I wanted. Remember those? Okay, all right. Not just me. Sean's raising it. Can I get an amen? Back row. Sean's shaking his head. All right. And then eventually along the way, it became close. Wanted to fit in, wanted to look a certain way. I think soccer had a lot to deal with that. Adidas Samba soccer shoes, certain kind of pants, clothes, haircut. And eventually it became acceptance. What I hoped for was acceptance. My first job, it was the esteem of having charisma and being relevant to teaching high schoolers at a Christian school. 
But all along the way, in every area of my life, I had to adjust with what I want my life to be and what my life was actually becoming. Have you had that happen to you? Where you've had to adjust what you want, what you hope for, and what your actual life was going to be. When it comes to things that we hope for, you have to accept that tension, don't you? We have to be honest about the tension, the tension between what we hope for and the life that we're currently living. For me, I wasn't exactly sure when it happened, but there came a point, it did happen, where I realized I was not going to become a professional soccer player. What I was hoping for just wasn't actually what my life was becoming. And you're no different than me, right? You have your wants. You have your desires from the most basic. When you go to Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks and you order your half-calf soy latte and whatever that is, I don't know, it just sounded cool. I looked up the most complicated order and that's what it is, okay? And, uh, and so when you order that, you are actually saying, this is what I hope for. I hope to have this experience when the priestess from Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks offers me their sacrifice and I receive it with worship and I pay my tithe and I worship caffeine and what this experience. We are emotional eaters. Would we agree? We hope that this will actually fulfill and start my day right that this coffee was made just for me. Well, not just on the most basics. We also hope about philosophical things and our ideologies perhaps most realized right now, and what we hope our nation would become, who we hope would win the election. These are things that we hope for. And when what we want isn't what we get, we not only have to admit the tension, but we have to settle the question, don't we? We have to settle the question. You see, what you hope for, your desires, isn't all there is to hope. On the one hand, it's what you hope for, it's, it's the hope of your desires, but on the other hand, your hope also refers to your trust, what you hope in. So as you're thinking about what is hope, it's two things. It's what you hope for, and it's who or what you hope in. You have to put your hope in something or in someone. We hope that the person that we trust will bring about the good that we are expecting, and that means for us in times of stress, when what we get isn't what we want, is that we have to settle that question with God, don't we? When you're experiencing stress and you're getting something that you don't want, you have to settle the question with God. Think of Job, Job 13, 15. Job says this, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Job admits the tension. What I want is not what I'm getting, though he slay me. But then he settles the question, yet I will trust him. You see, the practice of hope is only for people who have settled the question, and it's the question of surrender, the question of submission. I want to acknowledge this morning that it can be frightening for some of you to surrender your hopes and your desires to God. Maybe it's because you rarely have ever felt safe in life. It could be that you are a lot like Ariel in The Little Mermaid with King Triton. You know, she has all these hopes and desires of being human. And these desires take a physical shape as she collects trinkets from the life above and they fill her room under the sea. You can see in there she has all of these trophies and whatchamacallits and thingamabobs. 
till she finally brings home and flounder brings to her that huge statue of Eric, that human that she rescued. Well, in comes King Triton, and he wants to get through to her. I actually listened back to that part of the movie. Ariel, I don't know what I'm going to do to get through to you, but that human world up above is dangerous. And what does he do? His triton electrifies, and he destroys everything she desired and dreamed of. It wasn't because what she had was wrong. It was because her dad had an anger problem. He felt out of control. And some of us can feel that way about God. Why should we surrender what we hope for when the person we hope in isn't good? Yeah, they might have control in your life. They might have the authority over your life, but you're questioning, do they have my best interest at heart? So we have to settle the question, is God worthy of you surrendering your hopes to? It's a question of who is God. Well, God says that you have hopes this morning. Whether you're a Christian or not this morning, God says that you have hopes, and actually he gave them to you. But the Bible says God is no King Triton trying to wipe away your good desires. Jesus actually tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that if you were to ask for God for a loaf of bread, he wouldn't give you a rock. And if you were to ask for fish, he wouldn't give you a snake. And Christians gradually have to learn to lean into this. That God is not merely trying to play a trick on you in your hopes and desires, but that God wants to walk with you. We're going to see in this passage that God promises that he is with us. Do you know that the God who is in charge is also a relational God? He wants you to talk with him about your unspoken hopes. Maybe that would just be the first thing you need to do this morning is to admit the tension, settle the question, talk to God, press into him, and trust yourself to the one who created you. As we look at the next part, what would it look like to surrender your hopes to this God? And for that, we look at Mary. We're in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus. If you're new to our faith family, man, having a Bible open would actually help this sermon not be a bore to you. You could actually look and make sure that what I'm saying is based on God's word. And if you're not used to using a Bible, it's page 855 in that red book. If you don't have one of those, take that home with you. It's our gift to you. This is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. The large number are the chapters. The small number are the verses. And it helps you get more familiar with it. Would you hear God's word? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She, greatly, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you for the reading of your word, uh, the singing of your word that the young people led us in and the congregation just uh, sang so well. We want to trust in you that what more could heaven give than Jesus Christ? Our hearts are full with just knowing of your love and that you looked upon us in our state of need, that you are our rescuer, that you give us a living hope in heaven, that our hope is secure. It's, it's out of reach of what this world can do to it. And God, that you're a good, good father. It's who you are. And as we think about surrendering our hopes to you, what we want in life, God, we pray that you would keep and fill our vision with who you are and that our hearts would be melted by your love and your plan, infinitely good, infinitely wise, and that we could learn to say with Mary, Lord, let it be unto me according to your word. I am your servant. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So we see that Mary, at the end, surrenders her hopes to the Lord. Let me read verse 38 to you again. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. That's where she ended up, but how did she get there, right? How do you actually surrender? And so let's work our way through the text and see the practice of surrender as it's lived out. And I pray that whether or not you're a Christian, that you would find that this is helpful for no matter where you are in your walk of faith and coming to understand who God is. The first thing you need to see in this process of surrendering your hopes is that God comes and God interrupts your plans. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. Part of your faith's journey starts with God interrupting our plans with his plans. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man, it plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. It's normal for us to plan, but then God's word comes along. You see, Mary had a plan, she had a dream, she had a hope, and that was that she was going to get married to Joseph and then start a family. That was her plan, that was her hope, that's what she looked forward to. But notice in verse 26, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Yep, God sent Gabriel. The ultimate actor here is not Gabriel. He's just the messenger. It is God who sends Gabriel. It is God who initiates. And if you're new to understanding the whole Bible, here's the storyline of the Bible in one sentence. The story of the Bible is not how humans pursue God. Romans 3.11 says, There is no one who seeks God, no, not one. The story of the Bible is that God pursues his people. God pursues you. God's not waiting for humans to pursue him. God is not waiting for humans to find him. And I pray that you would know this. God is not looking for you to improve yourself until you are pleasing to him for him to be able to address you. No, our God is gracious in his initiating love, and it's the start of the work of hope, God sends Gabriel to Mary. And notice the angel's greeting in verse 28. And he came to her, he being Gabriel, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Some of you might have different translations. Anybody have the word rejoice instead of greetings? New King James, New American Standard. It is the word rejoice here. And so really this first word of greetings is actually a command. Rejoice! Get excited! Right? And then it goes on to say, rejoice, you are favored. 
It's really the word here, favored, comes from our Greek word, grace. So we could translate the angel's greeting this way. Rejoice, O one who has received grace. The Lord is with you. Rejoice, O one who has received grace. The Lord is with you. It's the same idea repeated down in verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found grace with God. The point is that Mary was not worthy of the honor that was about to be bestowed upon her. This honor of carrying the Christ child was a gracious gift. And just because we're in New England and many of us have a background in the Roman Catholic Church, it would just be really important to clarify that Mary is not someone who has all of this grace, an abundance of it, and now that she can dispense it, we see here on the first pages of the New Testament that Mary needs to be a recipient of God's grace. And when it refers to the Immaculate Conception, you and I probably think that refers to Christ. But in the Roman Catholic teaching, it refers to Mary, that Mary somehow was sinless, and that she was a perpetual virgin. And none of those things find their truth in the Bible, which is where we need to look when we come to understand God's Word. This was a gracious gift to the Bible. And from the very first pages of the Old Testament all the way to the first page of the New Testament, this is how God works. God speaks. He speaks in order to reveal Himself. And he's a God who notices nobodies living in the middle of nowhere to set his favor upon them, to accomplish his purposes. The most great purposes ever. Mary, this is great news. Through you, the Messiah will come if we surrender. And that good news is not just true for Mary. It's true for every Christian, right? We boast nothing in ourselves to earn our salvation, Ephesians 2, 8 says it's, the, it's, not, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What Christians boast in is how great their God is, so that it was all by grace through faith alone that we are saved. And so this morning, as we hear God's word, this is your announcement. This is your interruption of your life. It's not coming from an angel, but it's coming from God's word. And every week that we open up God's word, we're confronted with God's will for our life, and that's how it begins. How do you practice surrendering? Well, it begins first with just opening up God's word for your life to be interrupted, for somebody else to be contrary to your will. And God comes along and he intervenes in your life and he makes great claims on your life, which should cause you, here's your second step, to think. Look at verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So notice that when Mary gets met by this angel, her first response is not, what an honor. Who am I to receive this angel? God sent me an angel. What a gift. No. Her first response is that she's greatly troubled. It means that she was perplexed. Then Luke goes on to say that she tried to discern. That's our word where we get our word logic from. She was rationally mulling over those things. So faith family, she did not get to her humble and hopeful response of verse 38 immediately. She didn't get there without thinking, without mulling it over. What does this mean? What does God desire from me? Can God really use me? Am I too young? Will I disappoint him? Friends, even asking this question, is this a dream, a hallucination? If you're new to what it means to be a Christian, we don't respond and surrender our hopes to God as an automatic response as if we're robots. God doesn't ask us to check our brain at the door. 
God also doesn't hypnotize us and just cause us into a deep sleep to say, just follow me and don't ask any questions. Just, just do this and be ignorant. It's not it at all. Sure, it's more than thinking, but it's not less than thinking. So she has to process all of this. And in her process, the angel turns into counseling mode. Look at verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. The angel comes to her and gives her counsel that her heart needs to hear. Do not fear. You know, that's the most repeated command in all of God's word. It's mentioned over a hundred times. And so he comes along and he encourages her with what she needed. Fear not. Now, why shouldn't she fear? I want you to see this right in the text. Gabriel tells her why. It's the word for. For is a marker that he's going to explain to you why. Do not be afraid, Mary. Why? For you have found favor with God. You have found grace with God. To be in a right relationship with God means that you don't need to fear anything else. You guys get that? This is huge for thinking about surrendering your hopes to God and your dreams to God. What God is calling you to. Sometimes we're really afraid of being obedient to God. And we're afraid that what God is calling us to that we will fail at and that we will be put to shame. If you haven't been out there, it probably just means that you probably haven't quite obeyed all that God is asking you to do in this costly obedience. But when God has a call on your life, I think all of us feel, who, me? And you're wondering if you're going to be put to shame. And all these other fears begin to creep in. Fears of, will I be still accepted by my peers, my friends at school, my work group, my family? Because what God is calling me to doesn't make sense in this world's economy. I'm actually going up against stream. That's why the Bible calls us to fear God. Because when we supremely fear God, all of our other fears get put in place. And so the Bible says, don't let fear grab your heart. The Bible acknowledges that fear will stifle your faith. As you take your eyes off of the Lord and you set them on your circumstances, on your insufficiencies, on how the world will receive you. In essence, the angel is saying, if we take it from a negative and we make it a positive, he says, don't be afraid. But if we were to turn that into a positive, what he's really saying here, in the face of fear, fear the Lord. That's how you're going to surrender your hope. So you have to fear the Lord more than anything else. So Mary hears the angel's announcement, and she marvels at this impossible pregnancy. Somewhere along the way, she's going to learn that this pregnancy is not going to come through Joseph. I think we see that in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Here's a key word. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. He's going to be unlike any other child. He's going to bypass sin, nature, because he's going to be overshadowed, born by the Holy Spirit. He'll be called the Son of God. And so Mary's honest thinking, step two, leads to step three, honest questioning. She has an honest question. Look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? How? It's a logical question. She's been doing logical thinking. She goes, I've never been with a man before. How will this be? By the way, this is basically the exact same question as Zechariah. And in my Bible, I wish you could see it, the question of Mary is actually parallel in the column to the, Zac to the question that Zechariah has. So turn over your Bibles to Luke 1.18. I believe Luke is putting them here for you to compare. 
Luke is writing an account. For those of you that aren't Christians yet, and you want to make sure your faith has reasons, Luke is writing an orderly account to convince Theophilus that these things are true. He wants Theophilus to think. And so he compares Zechariah and Mary. Look at 1.18, Luke 1.18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Well, what's the comparison? We have two people, Zechariah and Mary, both receive an unexpected, supernatural, angelic appearance. Gabriel is the angel for both of them, announcing that either Elizabeth is going to have a child or Mary is going to have a child. But I think Luke really wants to see the differences more than the similarities. Notice that Zechariah is a man, esteemed position in that world. Mary's a woman. Zechariah is a priest offering sacrifices in the temple. Mary's a peasant out in a no-name, humble village. Zechariah, this priest, this man of faith, he wants more evidence. And so he asks, how can I know this? Mary, the humble peasant girl, wants more understanding. How can this be? In other words, Zechariah saying, I can't be sure. And Mary saying, I just don't understand. Zechariah is asking for a sign. And Mary is approaching with humility and understanding. Adults, you know that your children can ask the same question, how? And in one way, it'd be full of cynicism. Like, how is that going to work out for me? You're like, whoa, easy. Let me just remind you that this is me, your dad, talking with you, my child, and uh, we're not going to talk like that. But the other one is just, Dad, I'm not sure. How? How is this going to happen? What does this look like? And God knows your hearts. God knows what Zechariah is saying. God knows what Mary is saying. Zechariah gets muted, and Mary gets a sign. Look at Luke 1, 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is a sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Here, the angel offers Mary this amazing promise. Nothing is impossible with God. But he knows that you need to work out that promise, that you need to translate that promise into power, and how that actually happens is in community. And so Mary makes haste to go to confirm what she has heard with Elizabeth. Look with me at verse 39 through 45. In those days Mary arose, and she went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah, and she greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby in her womb leaped, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is you, Mary, who believed there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to you, from the Lord. The angel tells her how it's going to happen and then gives her a confirmation in gospel community. So how do you practice surrender? You have honest thinking, honest questioning, and you got to run into gospel community. Would you notice that your hope endures and it doesn't erode when you are in community? Mary does not break out into her song right after the angel promised her, nothing is impossible with God. In fact, Mary needs to talk with Elizabeth. 
She has to process it with Elizabeth. It's really Elizabeth that allows the coin to drop of all that's been told to her that makes Mary well up in praise in her Magnificat that's coming up next week. Friends, see that Elizabeth really understands. Look at verse 45. Blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth must have had a revelation. Mary doesn't even have time to tell Elizabeth that she's pregnant, and she already knows. It's because she's filled with the Spirit, we learned, right? Elizabeth is just a little further along. She knows a little bit more of the story. She's put a couple more pieces of the puzzle together, and that helps Mary move from all the things that are overwhelming her, all the what-ifs, and it helps her in community to move towards the even-ifs, the nevertheless as Pat loves to preach, the but gods. Can you imagine Mary coming in and sitting down with Elizabeth? And she says, this is what God told me, and I have a question. And Elizabeth answering every single one of them, yeah, but God. But how is this going to work out? Yeah, yeah, but God. Well, I got this problem. Yeah, but God. How many of us have kind of had that experience? We don't seem to make sense of what God's calling us to do. And there's a believer, there's a faith family that comes along and says, yeah, but God. Nevertheless, even if, that's why we need community. We're not to meant to be lone rangers. In fact, being alone in your walk with the Lord is a sure way for your hope to erode, not to endure. That's why it's important that we gather together. You know, we're not a perfect church. We admit that. We hope that you know that before you join. But we aim to be a place where you can walk with people. It will be a safe place so that you can walk with us going from an eroding hope to an enduring hope. So how do you surrender? Receive the interruption of God's word in your life. Honest thinking, honest questions. Move forward in gospel community to find favor, right, with the Lord by fearing him above all else. Notice Mary's beautiful, humble, and hopeful response. Luke 1.38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. One commentator, Matthew Henry, said this, We don't pray to Mary, but we should certainly praise God for Mary. Because God gives us examples, real-life humans that have walked just like we're walking, that have been examples to emulate. So faith family, here's your challenge. Imitate her humble, hopeful obedience. Let me ask you, can you say this morning, let it be to me according to your word? Do with me and in me, and through me. Anything you want. No footnotes in your obedience. No prenups in your relationship with God. Lord, use me however, wherever you want. Can you say without reservation, I am yours, Lord? It's a big request, isn't it? So let me just be honest with you. What scares you about that? For some of us, it's electrifying. Can't wait! Others of us, it is terrifying. Why should you surrender? We have to ask that in closing. Why did Mary do it? Think about all that she agreed to. She does not have the perspective that we have looking back on history, looking back on the cross. We get to see fuller who Jesus and all of that he was. We get to see more of all that Jesus did. Mary doesn't. And yet she trusts God. We have to consider what it cost her. 
Because God's calling you to do things too. Surrender your hopes to him. And you're wondering about your personal cost. Well, consider Mary's personal cost. You know, for Mary, at 14 or thereabout, her childhood was over. It had a personal cost. Her childhood was over. She would have to carry the baby to term. She would deal with the swollen ankles, the labor pains, the fatigue. And ladies, you know it's not just giving birth to a child, it's raising that child. All of that would fall on her. But there was also a societal cost. Sure, it was secret that day, but soon other people would know. If there's one thing I've learned about church is that many church people can count to nine. Oh, you got married when? I'm sad to say that I was raised in a church where the only person that was ever excommunicated was a girl that got pregnant. You know, it's just a cultural issue. We today look back and say, wow, Mary, this is amazing that you get to be the mother of the Christ. But you know what? If Mary came to you the next day and told you this story, would you believe her? I don't think so. They would think that she was immoral, that she sinned against Joseph. Let's just put it in perspective. This is a big deal in a small town. I was trying to process how small Nazareth was to give you a picture of that and how big of a deal this would have been. Anybody know where Dummer, New Hampshire is? One, two, Brandon's nodding, three. Dummer, New Hampshire. I, from what I've gathered, Tim Brown told me this, it is a town that has one road, and it goes up, makes a loop, and comes right back. <laughs> Hence the name, <laughs> Dummer, New Hampshire. Where do you live, Dummer? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, wow. Okay, it, that's how small this is. And this would make press, right? That you're the girl that thinks that she has, you know, a baby, even though that you are a virgin. It was a call for her to carry shame in that culture. It wasn't her fault. In fact, it was a great privilege. But in her community around her, it was a shame. And let's not forget the relational cost. It appeared to be the end of her relationship with Joseph. We know in Matthew that if an angel didn't appear to Joseph, that Joseph was already willing to put her away quietly with a divorce. As far as Mary knew, this call to raise Jesus was a call to be a single mom. And in that society, that would have meant that you would have been without status, without protection, without provision. Nevertheless, but God, even if. Nevertheless, she did not pull a Jonah and run away and hide. Nevertheless, she did not pull a Zechariah and doubt. Nevertheless, she did not pull a Sarah and laugh. Nevertheless, she did not pull a Moses and say, uh, could it be anybody but me? You should get somebody else, please. It makes me want to ask the question, what did she see? I mean, what did she see of the Lord's beauty and his promises and his goodness to say, I'm willing to surrender my hopes to them? It makes, we're going to look at that next week as she sings this song. And my heart just wants to sing a song that Martha sang a couple years ago, Show Us Christ. I mean, just show us Christ with all of his beauty that would make me actually want to surrender all my hopes, even though it has a personal cost, a societal cost, a relational cost. Show me Christ. Show me his beauty. Because I'm not going to do this just by sheer, you're doing it. That's not how God works. But what did Mary know? She knew this. Being favored by God means sacrificial obedience. 
Do you understand that? That's what it means to really be a Christian. I know a lot of us come from different churches, different places. We're glad to have you. But sometimes you can get the idea that Christianity is all that God is going to do for you and there's nothing for you. And it's just cheap. It's easy. But Mary knew that being favored by God means sacrificial service. What is described as favor is costly obedience. You're favored by God. Great. Okay, obey. And it's going to be costly. And we think of God's favor as innumerable, uninterrupted blessings, innumerable wealth, enduring peace and ease and comfort. But for Mary, her favor with God cost her obedience. And she didn't say, what about my reputation? What about Joseph? Here's a big one for us. What about my safety? She leaves all of the what-ifs to God. And young person, I want you to really listen to this. She believed that God was able to handle the consequences of her obedience. You get that? She believed that God was able to handle the consequences of her obedience. And so here's the, th here's the point. To imitate Mary, don't outthink obedience. To imitate Mary, don't outthink obedience. Well, if I obey God here, then it's going to be this and this and this. And so, you know, I just really can't obey God wholeheartedly. I'm going to give him partial obedience because if I do that, then that work here and then my friends here and then who I was hoping to get married to. And then, uh, you know, no, I just don't outthink obedience. God is able to handle the consequences of your obedience. And he did that by appearing in a dream to Joseph. Say together. Is able to do that by providing her safety to Egypt, to provide an incubation for Christ to be raised, even though there was a king wanting to kill him. All along the way, God provided, God guided, God protected, all because of her obedience. So don't outthink your obedience. God is big enough to handle the consequence of calling you to surrender your hope to him. And so Luke 9.23, it's not just for Mary. It looks the same for us. He said to them, Christ, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Friends, as you hear the call to surrender your hopes to God, would you confess with me that we have misguided hopes? As you hear that call to surrender your hopes to God, would you confess that we have misguided hopes? Proverbs chapter 26, verse 12 says this, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. You see a man who's wise in his own eyes? That's the arrogant. It's the non-listening. It's the impatient young person that has to have it his way right now and it's not going to listen to anybody else's opinion. Right? That's the arrogant. And what happens is that their hope is off because their character is off. Right? What does an arrogant person hope for? Self. It's a selfie world. And so when pride creeps in, our desires are shaped by our pride. And what I have found out to be true in my own life is that when I begin to shape my hopes based upon my pride, what I was doing when I was a teenager with soccer, good grades, trying to get into a certain school, you know what really got formed and cemented in my life? Because I was also with a misguided crowd. Your misguided hopes could really be embedded and deepened and cemented 
Because you're also in a misguided crowd. You know that if your parents say, hey, go and talk to this person. Why don't you develop friends here? Or why don't you think about this or consider this option? That your heart already says, no, my hope is on this thing. And if I talk to these people, if I go and see the principal, I mean the pastor, you know, I, if I go and see him, he's going to challenge me. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to find my friends here that already agree with my misguided hopes because they're in them too. You know, the world tells us, keep hope alive. But should all of your hopes be kept alive? Let me ask you, do you have any misguided hopes? There is something that you need to give up. I don't know what it is. My guess is you do. It's a misguided hope. And what that means is this, that the thing that you are actually wanting, the thing that you are longing for, the thing that you're actually living for, is the very thing that's going to kill you. You were never meant to have it. You've been looking to the wrong crowd, and it feels right when you're with them. It does. This is the life. This is what I hope for. This is where enjoyment is going to be found. This is what the world calls satisfaction and entertainment. But when you come here, and you open up God's word, and you meet with Jesus, all of a sudden you begin to realize, oh, I shouldn't feel that way about these hopes. It doesn't feel right. And Christ this morning is asking you to surrender, to lay it down. Because you have to realize your life is not all about you. Luke chapter 9, verse 24 goes on to say, For whoever would save his life would lose it. And whoever loses his life, your life's not about you, would actually find it for my sake. Faith family, do you know that you can actually have a good life without it? Because your life is about him. And he's good. He's not a King Triton, clearing away everything you want, making you think that you're going to be a miserable person if you don't get what you think you want. He wants you to reorient your hopes to Him. And that comes through a practice of surrender. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you this morning just for the hearing of your word and this invitation to align our hopes with the God of hope, the God who is our hope, a word that has been uh, with us in, in some of our family devotions and psalms this week, that you are our refuge. Oh, a place within the veil, a place secure, a, a place where our feet does not slip. God, thank you that you made us like yourself and that you give us hope. You give us hopes. You want us to have them. You want us to have our hopes in you. And so, God, we have to confess this morning that we have an eroded hope. Sometimes our hope is eroding, it's, it's fading, it's disappearing because of what we are hoping for. It's misguided. God, we just confess where our misguided hopes are. Perhaps some we wish that we would be in a career by now. We'd have that place where we could develop our resume and be doing something that we consider worthwhile or that we'd finally get the recognition that we deserve. Others of us wish that we'd be married by now. Others, we'd hope that we wouldn't be divorced, but we are. And we hope that sometimes that our relationship with our children would be different than what it currently is. I think many of us would hope that the election would have turned out different than it did. And you said that when hope deferred, it makes the heart sick. 
And so, Lord, we admit that we have misguided hopes, things that we so desperately long for. They have been unspoken, and we right now are confessing them to you. We're acknowledging them. You know our hearts, but it's good for us just to admit that we have this tension between what we want and what we're getting. And God, we just pray that this morning that we could settle that question that though you slay us, yet I will trust you. I will trust you and not myself. Oh, Lord, that, that, that's a bigger problem for me. I have eroding hope because often my hope is not in you, but it's in myself. My resources, my smarts, my cleverness, my hustle. Forgive me for putting more faith in myself than the God of the universe. I'm made to hope in you. God, I have to admit that I'm afraid that when I put my hopes in you, that I'll be put to shame. Shame of my friends. Shame by this world that I'll, that I'll end destitute, that I won't have the, the finances that I need at the end, that I won't have uh, the career that I need at the end to sustain me, whatever it might be. God, we fear so many other things more than we fear you. Christ, Christ Jesus, I pray that you'd walk with us this week when we are tempted to fear man because we'll be mocked, ridiculed, or rejected. Christ, you promised to be with us, and I pray that you would be with us in a very real way, that you would hold our hand with your nail print hand. That nail print hand that was rejected and mocked, and ridiculed for being the savior of the world by dying, by being the king of kings, and yet by dying on the cross, by defeating death by dying, the irony. God, we just pray that you would give us an enduring hope, that you would renew our strength as it wants to erode as we look to that day that's coming when all of our hopes will one day be fully revealed and realized, the fulfillment of our hopes where we will be with you and you will be our God. So Father, we just pray that you would fuel our hope by focusing our gaze and God, you offered these words to your servant Mary, and I pray that they would be true for this faith family this week. Nothing will be impossible with God. God, we praise you that difficulty is not a word that is in the dictionary of heaven. God, for you, whatever thing that we feel right now is impossible for us to endure, and we silently confess them, that you are the God of the impossible. You alone are the God that is the overcomer. You are the God that loves to put your people in a position where only you could come through to receive all the glory. From the Red Sea to the virgin birth. And God, we confess we don't like being there at wit's end without any resources or any human ingenuity, we would prefer another way, but it would rob you of glory. And so we surrender our hope and trust. Bring the hope of the gospel that our greatest need has been taken care of for these dear saints in their impossible situation that is tempting them to quit on hope. And we ask that they would abound in hope as their faith is fueled by looking at the God 
who with nothing is impossible. We pray this in your mighty and strong name, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me and sing that great song?